Hi, this is Larry Wilson, and this is How to Talk to Humans. This is the podcast that shows you how to improve your communication skills. Are you looking to get a better job? Are you looking to find a relationship? Are you trying to do things in your life that have frustrated you and eluded you so far? I can show you so easily how to change that. Now, I can only do it with humans. If you're looking to deal with vampires or zombies, extraterrestrials, this is not the show for you. But if you're really looking to improve your communication skills, I can show you what I've learned from 40 years in show business working with the biggest celebrities and superstars in the world, and their secrets are unbelievable. What I'm going to be teaching you during the course of this podcast every week are tools that you can use to communicate toward success. Hi, this is Larry Wilson, and welcome to another episode of How to Talk to Humans, the podcast that's really focused on teaching you to communicate better. I had an English teacher in high school named Mr. Bartine, and I only remember that, I think, because all the other teachers we referred to by their first names in this weird school I went to. Uh, But Mr. Bartine uh, insisted on being called Mr. Bartine. And he was actually a very, very good teacher. And I remember one of the first days in his class, he asked us to write a description of something, an explanation of something. And I, I think his idea was that he wanted to point out how difficult that is. It's a very hard thing to do. You think at first, oh, piece of cake. But then you realize, not so easy. But I had written a description of Boyle's law of inverse proportion of gases to volumes, which sounds like I'm really a science guy, which I'm not. I only knew this because I had been uh, uh, training to become certified as a scuba diver. And one of the things you're supposed to learn is Boyle's Law of Inverse Proportion. Uh, That basically means the greater the pressure, the deeper you're going underwater, the smaller the volume of gases. So the air in your lungs at twice the pressure on the surface the volume is half the volume. That's a short-form version. But anyway, I had to learn all this stuff to get a scuba diving license. Anyway, so I described this, and I remember Mr. Martin was so... Um, <laughs> I was going to say tormented, but that's uh, too strong a word. But he, he was perplexed because he said, I really, I feel like you didn't really do what the assignment was. He said, but you did it so well. And I said, well, I was just trying to do what you asked. You asked us to explain something. He said, well, you did exactly that. He said, and you explained something that's very complicated and scientific, but you explained it so that anyone could understand it. And I said, well, that's what I was trying to do. He said, yeah. He said, I was sort of hoping that you would write about something that, you know, had more meaning to you, that you felt more passionate about And I said, oh, oh. I said, well, 
And I explained I'd learned this so that I could qualify for this licensing. Um, but I thought it was such an interesting introduction to the idea that it what I had done was actually the opposite of what most people struggle with, which is they feel so passionately about something that they feel if they simply demonstrate their passion, that should suffice, that that will carry the day. You know, can't you see how strongly I feel? And of course, that's not the case. I have another guest, uh, not today, but in an upcoming episode that I'm going to speak with, who really tackles that problem in magnificent form. And she's going to share a lot of uh, her experience and her process of writing about things that you do feel passionately about, but not abandoning your technique or your structure in the process thereof. But this was my first introduction to it with Mr. Bertinian. You know, it's funny, as I'm telling you this, I'm also reminded, it was a great class. Uh, Bartin is the first introduction I can remember to Shakespeare. And I remember at one point he had us uh, reading out of uh, Richard III. Now, you know, sometimes when you're a kid, you think some of this stuff happens by chance or randomly. With the vantage point of history looking back on, I wonder sometimes if teachers had more specific agendas in mind. But Mr. Bartina had me read the part of Richard III, and there's a scene where he's just uh, arranged to have this woman's husband murdered, and then he goes to sort of romance her, which seems impossible, right? How, How could this possibly work? Plus, she sort of knows, she at least suspects, I'm not sure she's positive, but she suspects that Richard's behind the death of her husband. So she's very cold to him and very aloof. And yet somehow he wins her over. And if for that, if for that passage alone, that's worth reading Richard III. It's incredible. But as a teenager... Reading that out loud, I had the experience. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's ever had this. But a lot of the Shakespearean language is difficult to understand or unfamiliar to us or foreign sounding. And some. But in this case, even with words that were unfamiliar or the phraseology, the idea that this guy was trying to do this outrageous thing came through so clearly with this woman who totally distrusting and suspicious and hating this man that he just woos her and wins her over was so clear to me. I remember thinking, this is some extraordinary stuff. And strangely enough... I don't know where Mr. Bartin is these days, but I hope he's doing well. And uh, I'm sure he never would have imagined in a million years that he would have had this lasting impact on me. 
But I remember one time uh, when we were reading Hamlet, and Hamlet is a very strange play. If you haven't read it, I I couldn't begin to describe <laughs> what a strange story it is. But uh, but I'm sure everyone at least is familiar with those lines to be or not to be. That's a very famous uh, passage. And uh, you've heard me speak here on this podcast before, my high esteem for Shakespeare. And it's because this writer wrote stuff hundreds of years ago that's as fresh as if it was written this morning. To me, that's an incredible ability. And it's not just his writing ability, which is fantastic. It's his understanding of humans. And since this podcast is all about how to talk to humans, I think going to the source of a guy who knew this four or five hundred years ago is uh, probably a good place to start. He has such a basic understanding of what motivates humans and what they're involved about. And here is the good news for everyone listening. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in 500 years. The things that motivate the characters in Shakespeare's work are still in force today. They're still the same. People want the same things. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. Some of Shakespeare's stuff, this is not from Hamlet. Now, all of a sudden, I can't think of what a play it's from. I want to say Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm not sure that's right. A narrator who says to the audience, all the world's a stage. And all the men and women in it, merely players. Each one in his time plays many roles. They have their entrances and exits. Now, that's, I mean, it, when you stop and think about the simplicity of that language, but it's really true. Haven't we all felt that at some time? That I'm the so-and-so in this story. I'm the villain. I'm the hero. I'm the servant. I'm the narrator. I'm the Greek chorus. Whatever it is, right? But it's so great when you see someone who's able to say it so simply and so clearly. In his time, each one has plays many parts. They have their entrances and exits, just like it's in a play, you know. Uh, and it makes me think of another time when uh, Mr. Bartine had uh, had us reading Hamlet, and I we had some kind of assignment. Now I can't remember what it was, but I talked with my father about it. And my father, as I've mentioned other places on this podcast, was a greatly esteemed psychoanalyst. And he didn't really have a tendency to address things in the real world through that lens, although maybe he saw them that way. But he didn't really, for the most part, didn't really address that. But I said to him specifically, I said, so, I said, have you read this play, Hamlet? And my father said, yeah, yeah, I have. And I said, as a psychoanalyst, I said, what do you think about the early in the play, 
uh, Hamlet's father uh, has died. Now, it's unclear exactly how his death came to be, but his father is dead. And his uncle has married his mother. So there's already some creepy things afoot. And Hamlet sees the ghost of his father appear. I think first some of the guards see it and tell him, and then Hamlet goes and speaks to the ghost of his father. And his father tells him that he was murdered. Uh, now, this, <laughs> this matters to no one except me. But there's such a great thing where Hamlet's father's ghost says, uh, a pernicious poltroon poured a vile concoction into my ear uh, and poisoned him. But I've always thought, you know, Shakespeare is famous for inventing so many words, words and phrases that we use today, that you use probably on a daily basis. There are literally hundreds of words and phrases did not exist before Shakespeare. The first one I just popped in my mind was one fell swoop. Nobody ever thinks about what a swoop is or why it's falling, or what a fell... But one fell swoop, that's from Shakespeare. Um, you know, in my life as a magician, I, on more than one occasion, had the opportunity to talk about something vanishing into thin air. Well, that's Shakespeare. That thin air has never been used before. Well, how do we think of air as being fat or thin? Or we don't, but that's so. There's so many things, and when I think of pernicious, pernicious was a word that was in use in Shakespeare's time. But I think poltroon is one more of his inventions. But it sounds like a James Bond villain, doesn't it? A pernicious poltroon. Anyway, so I was asking my father about what he thought of this. And of course, I don't, I honestly don't know if my father was aware of what he was saying, but my father's interpretation of it was a psychoanalytical. Now, he didn't present it that way, but, you know, he said that, um, that this was Hamlet's, uh, there wasn't really a ghost. It was Hamlet thinking of his father and what he was afraid had happened. And the implication, of course, that is borne out by the rest of the play is that his father's brother, Hamlet's uncle, has murdered him so that he can marry the queen and become the king and stuff. So there's a lot of problems in this family. You know, it's not going to be a good Thanksgiving for this family. It's a mess. The whole thing's a mess. But um, when I think of that, of my father, you know, saying, you know, this is Hamlet's projection of his father. And so I wrote that into this paper, and I credited my father. I just said, you know, my father, <laughs> Dr. Wilson, had, had this perspective. And when I presented this to Mr. Bartine, again, it was so interesting, his reaction to it. He clearly wasn't pleased with it. But he liked my writing. He 
like that my writing was clear. It was direct. It was easy to understand. And I have to say, I was surprised that he didn't like I said, what, what is there not to like? And Bartine wrestled with this because I think he was such a fair kind of guy that he wanted to leave these opportunities to explore the material. And finally he just said, well, he said, here's the thing. I see what your father is saying about this. And that might very well be what Shakespeare had in mind. He said, but it limits the possibilities of what this could be. And I instantly got what Mr. Bartine was saying, was that if you say, oh, it's not a ghost, it's his feelings about his dad that he's a man, okay, well, maybe that's true. But it makes the story so much bigger. It makes the story so much more interesting. It makes it really grand if there is a ghost. And the ghost came back to tell Hamlet what had really happened. And I think this is a really, really important... I mean, it's very difficult for me to talk about these things with you without me being swept away by my love of this writer and his use of language. I I can hear it in my head. It's like music. But I think one of the reasons that Shakespeare's work is still so powerful today, and I predict will be for another 500 years at least, is what Mr. Bartine was trying to talk about was the huge scope of it, not trying to make it smaller, trying to allow it to be so big that anyone can interpret it in so many different ways. And I think that one of the things that we all do in life is tell stories. It's something that connects us. It's, I mean, it sounds pretentious for me to say, so I beg your indulgence and I apologize in advance. But I feel like it may be in our DNA. It may be part of what makes us human is this desire to tell stories and for us to hear stories. Because stories make sense out of the chaotic, messy, unpredictable nature of life. When we tell these stories, when we hear these stories. And I would encourage everyone listening to this to think about what your personal story is. Now, I can't emphasize this strongly enough. I'm not asking you to make your life into a Shakespearean saga. That's too much for anyone. That's too much. And I've known some people, personally, whose lives were easily that outrageous and unbelievable and just uh, 
dramatic that you couldn't possibly believe it's true, but it is true. I'm not asking you to do that. But I'm asking you as an exercise, as an experiment, to think about what your story is. Maybe it's a simple story. Maybe it's not a big sweeping drama. But think about it in terms of how you might tell somebody if they didn't know you were talking about yourself. I want you to experiment with that because it may be, you may find it's a way for you to present either yourself, your business, your ideas, your personality, some important facet of your life in a way that makes it easier for other people to understand and makes you impossible to ignore. This has been Larry Wilson. I want to thank you for spending this time with me, and I hope you found this information useful. If you're looking for more, you can find it at thewilsonmethod.com. There's a ton of stuff there. In fact, if you want, you can even speak to me because I'm human. Send me an email at info at wilsonmethod.com because I read every single one. I hope that you'll join us next week in this continuing journey and you'll be with me for the next episode of How to Talk to Humans.